recap kind of where we've been in case you have missed a week of this series. We are looking at, uh, at four prayers that the Apostle Paul prayed for churches that he helped start. Apostle simply, it just means church planter. Paul was a church planter in the New Testament who planted churches all over the known world and he would raise up teams and pastors to take over those churches and he would leave and go plant more churches. But he would write them pastoral letters in your, in your Bible in the New Testament. About two-thirds of the New Testament are those letters or epistles to the churches that Paul had, had planted, the Apostle Paul had planted. And somewhere in every one of those letters, he, he had this rhythm he would use that we've kind of used as our rhythm for this message series. And it, and, it, and it goes like this. He would say, you know, dear church at you know, Colossae or Ephesus or Philippi or, or, or you know, Galatia, that like the, here's my letter to the churches there in Galatia. I pray, and then he would say, here's what I'm praying for. And then he would, and then he would say, so that, you know, this would show up in your life. He did it in almost all of the epistles. I, I pray that this, this shows up in your life so that there's some spiritual maturity there. And so we looked at you know, three so far different prayers. Today's the last one. The first one we said was that I pray that you're, that you're strengthened in power in your innermost being, that, you, that the power of God is working inside of you. And, and we said that I think there's something good to add to your prayer list. Every single time you pray, you need to pray for the power of God to live inside of you and, and, and give you the strength that you need. And then the second week we talked about unity, praying for unity. Matter of fact, Jesus prayed this prayer to the Father. He said, Father, make, make them one as we are one, as you and I are one. And Paul would echo that same prayer. Let's pray for unity in our families, in our churches, and in our city, and in our country. It's so divided right now. Let's pray for unity. And so we added that to our prayer list. And then last week, we talked in a great little book in the New Testament. It's one chapter. It's actually the only personal letter in the whole Bible Paul wrote to his friend Philemon. And, and he prayed that Philemon would be active in sharing his faith. That God's called you to not just... He said, Philemon, I love how you love church people and Christians, but I don't want you to be scared of people who are far from God. Matter of fact, I want you to be active in sharing your faith with people who are far from God. But today, I really, sometimes I feel like I give you, the, you know, the, like the, the best message on the first week. Sometimes I feel like I give it to you on the last part of the week. And I don't know which one you feel like is the best one, but... I really think today may be the one that changes um, the most for you. I think it could change how you pray the most because it carries with it what I think probably everybody here is either going through at some point in your life would go through. Would it not be amazing? Let me. Would it not be the best thing in your life if you could know beyond the shadow of a doubt what the best choice, whatever choice you were trying to make was? If, you, if, I could, if I could tell you, man, you would know that if you're making an education decision, you know, where, where do I go to college? Which, by the way, the answer for that is UTSA because it's closed. Come on, somebody. Like, if, I, if I could make a career decision, how do I know what's best? Do I take this job or do I take this job? Or, you know, do, do, do I move careers? Do we start a business? Or what about my investments? Or, you know, where, where should I, you know, what should I invest our finances in? Or, 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 you know, what about relationships? You know, should I date him or him? By the way, if you're asking that question, let me just give you a little bit of biblical wisdom. Find the one that has a job. Go ahead, go ahead and start there. And then from there, if he doesn't serve, tithe, give, pray, worship, cry, he, he still ain't the one. Come on, everybody say amen to that. So start with job, though, because if he ain't got a job, he ain't doing the rest of that. 
Which, what's the best decision should I make? Which, what, what should I, here's one. What, <laughs> is it the best choice for me to post this on Facebook or not? Which, by the way, if you have to ask, is this a good idea? It's not a good idea. <laughs> it's just not. I saw a meme. My favorite meme around Christmas time is, is Santa Claus. Uh, there's a picture of Santa Claus on it, and, and the words on the top say <laughs> that, that San, Santa saw your Facebook pictures. You're getting a Bible for Christmas. But for real, uh, for real on that. So what, what's the best decision? Should I post this? Should I not post? Should I say this? Should I not say this? Like, I, I just, should I buy this or not buy this? How, let me ask you this. How many of you with a show of hands would like to know beyond the shadow of a doubt what's the best decision? Let me see your hands. Hands up all over the house. Everybody's hands up. Look around. If someone doesn't have their hands up, do not take advice from these people. They don't care what the best decision is. Do not take advice from folks with their hands down. I want to know what the best decision is. But a lot of times you're asking through the wrong lens, I think. I think sometimes we, we have the wrong lens of the question that we're asking God. Really, sometimes I think when we, we kind of convince ourselves I'm asking, you know, God, tell me what's best. What we really mean is, God, I want you to tell me I'd like the decision that makes me feel good. Or, or, or I'd like the decision that's the easiest thing to do. God, I got two decisions here. Which one's the easiest? That's the one I'm going to go do. God, I, I'd like the decision that just reduces the conflict in my life. Any married people ever just, you ever just prayed the fight was over? Come on, somebody. You don't even care if they win. You just want it. To, why would you raise your hands? Don't do that. I just, I just want it to be over with. I just want to reduce conflict. I just want to make more money. God, I got these two decisions here. And honestly, I'm just looking for the one with the most money in it or or, or I just need the one that gets me the most Instagram likes. Come on, everybody. I, I make my decision based on what you think about what I'm doing. Uh, or, or, or whether it makes you happy. Or whether you validate what I'm doing. I think sometimes we have the wrong lens. And so we're really not asking. We really can't know what's best because we're looking through the wrong lens. And it taints sort of the whole question that we're asking God. And, and Paul gave us... I think he gave us the key to unlocking what it is that that you can decide what's best. It's found in Philippians, the first chapter. Read along with me on the screen. This is my prayer. So this is how he starts all of this when he starts praying for a church. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. Interesting that he uses both words, abound and more and more. It's, it's, It's redundant, actually. But it's that important that you get the love of God inside of you. But not just any way. I want you to grow in love, in knowledge... And in depth of insight. Those are really, really important. Underline those. I want you to grow in knowledge and depth of insight so that, here's that rhythm, so that you may be able to discern what's best. In other words, Paul says, you can know what's best, but, but you have, there's something that has to happen in you. You have to change your lens. There's got to be a love lens that, that sort of changes inside of you. So that you can know what's best. Paul says, I want that agape love from God. Not conditional love. Listen, God does not love you. God is love towards you. Amen, everybody? It's who He is. It's not what He does. It's who God is. And He said, I want that to, I want that to grow in you in knowledge. Wouldn't it be great if you could make a decision that you never got it wrong? I want you to grow in knowledge. And, and, and then I want you to grow in depth of insight. In other words, I want something on the inside of you to start changing that your decision making, now everything changes from the inside. you got some insight in the depth of you that changes the questions that you ask. Essentially, Paul is saying here, I, I want you to experience God's love in such a way that you're transformed. That you can't see 
what you've always seen, that you've got different eyes, that you see something else. And when you experience God in that way, now the decisions in front of you have a different lens over them. Am I making any sense to anybody? Say amen to that. Let me give you an example of this. This happened to me a couple of years ago, and I can't... I, there's some stuff in your life you just can't unsee. You know what I'm talking about there? Like, you, you ever clicked on something, you're like, oh, dear God, I can't ever unsee. Like, like somebody, one of your Facebook friends at the beach, come on. Somebody you serve with at church at the beach, come, <laughs> come on, everybody. You're like, oh, God, I can't not unsee that. Why? Why would you put that on there? There's some stuff you look at. This happened to me. This happened to me a couple of years ago, and it was about a movie star. I don't know if you think, I think, I think he's a good-looking dude. I'm, I'm, I'm masculine enough to say this, that I think, I, I think Tom Cruise is a good-looking guy. Anybody think Tom Cruise is a good-looking guy? Where are you at? Raise your hands. Think Tom, why are there dudes raising your hands? What's wrong with you? Something's wrong with you, bro. I do. I think he's a good-looking guy. I think, I think uh, you know, and Mission Impossible 3, by the way, my, my, my man's in his late 50s, and he did all of his own stunts. Like, he's an animal. Like, yeah, that's, I don't know why that was so good. He's an animal. Like, it's just so, he's so, he's not just good looking. By the way, he's short. I don't, I just want to bring that up. So, the comparisons go on and on. So, that, <laughs> they, <laughs> you laughed, you laughed a little hard on that one. It hurt my feelings a little bit. I always thought Tom Cruise was a good looking dude. Until a couple, couple of years ago, I, I was sitting in, in, in a room with somebody who pointed this out to me, and they, were, they showed this picture of Tom Cruise and, you know, his teeth, like this, you know, this classic smile. And I was like, dude, he's, looked, you know, thick hair, he's short, you know, they're, they're, you know, good-looking eyes. Like, so far, a lot of what I see in me, like a lot, lot going for him here. And then, and, then my friend, and then my friend pointed to something I had never seen before, and now every time I see it, I can't unsee it. And I'm going to do it to you. <laughs> see, you can't unsee it. Are you ready? Tom Cruise has one tooth in the center of his head. His eyes are right. His nose is right. His cheekbones are perfect. But all of his teeth took a left-hand turn except that one tooth. Y'all, he's got one tooth in the middle of his dome. And it doesn't matter what picture you look at. You go Google it. Not right now, but after church, you Google it. Every picture of Tom Cruise now, you're going to see this one. I call it the tooth. Like every time I see him, I'm like, there's the tooth. It's, it's looking at me. It's just waving at me. <laughs> I can't unsee it. This good-looking guy, my vision has changed. And every picture I see of him, I see the tooth. The one tooth. Everybody see it? Look, this is right there. It's, right, it's in the center of his head. Let me tell you what just happened. I just gave you knowledge that now you'll filter every picture you look at Tom Cruise through. And God says, Paul's writing to the Philippians, he says, I want you to have a lens that, that God's love transforms you so much that every time you look at this situation, you see something differently than everybody else sees. You don't start asking questions about money and affirmation and whether it makes everybody. You're you're able to discern what's best because God's love becomes the lens of your life. And you start seeing what nobody else could see before. Do you receive that? Shout amen. I want to to help you change your lens today. So how, how, how do I know what's best? Here's the question. How do I know what's best? Write that in your notes. How do I know what's best? How do I know? I don't want to guess. 
Listen, you can't just guess whether, whether this spouse is going to work. The second biggest decision of your life after following Jesus is who you marry. And you don't have time to just take a guess and go, well, Kevin's all right. That would be good. Bobby's good. That would be fine. Whichever one proposes first. That ain't the way to do it, everybody. It's just shortly thereafter you'll be in my office wondering why in the world you, 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 know, you picked Kevin over Bobby, Kevin notwithstanding. Why, why in the world? That you made this decision. Like, you can't just say, you know, anything. Go- I want to know what the best decision is. I want to know what God's will. How do I know what God has best for me? And I'm going to give you the punchline before I preach the whole message, which is terrible to do because then people go to sleep. But you're not going to do that because you're a better crowd than that. I want to convince you that this line is true. Write this down. Here, here's the punchline of the whole message. The key to knowing what's best is knowing God. Now, now, some of you are going, whoa, this is not the church. Well, I thought this was deep, and this guy's not deep at all. <laughs> like, he's, this is the shallowest thing. But I want to help you. I, I want to help you because I really think that is, I think, it's, I think it's deeper than you give it credit for. Because I think there's some people trying to decide what's best in their life, and you'll never know what's best until you really know God. It's why on that worship guide, you'll see it. You'll see it plastered everywhere in our church. The first thing that we want you to know here at City Hills, the first vision that we sort of filter our whole ministry through, our whole church is arranged around these four things, is I want you to know God. I don't want you to know about God. I knew about God growing up. I don't want you to know about church, about theology, about doctrine, about Jesus, about the Bible. All that's good stuff, and some churches are are, are teaching you about all of that stuff. I I hope that you catch some about that stuff. But my real prayer for you is that you know God. That you know Him personally and intimately. And when you know God, I really think it's the key for you knowing what's best. And I hope to prove it to you. Let me give you you three ways to know God. Since since if I'm telling you that's what's going to change everything in your life, let me give you three ways. Here's the first one. If you want to know God and know what's best, you got to seek godly counsel you got to seek godly counsel. Now let me give you an example of not godly counsel because godly is the operative word. If you're up at 1 o'clock in the morning on Facebook and you ask everybody what their career, like what their opinion is about your career decision, guys, just tell me right now, should I take this or should I take this? This is a good job, this is a good job. And it's 1 o'clock in the morning. Anybody that comments on that post don't have a job. Don't take none of their advice. Say amen to that. So I, it's always funny to me when people come to me and go, Pastor, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day about what I should do, and here's what they said that I should do. And I always go, do you have any idea how many relationships they've been in? And you got, a, you got relationship advice from them? Come on, everybody. Do you, you, don't, you don't ask broke people for money advice. You don't do that. You don't go to broke people and go, tell me how you did it. <laughs> they don't know. That's why they're there. You, you got to get godly counsel. Proverbs says it like this, plans fail, not because it was a bad plan, because you didn't have enough counsel, because many advisors makes plans succeed. You need godly advisors in your life. Here's the second thing. It sounds simple, but you got to, I, I, I tell you this all the time, you got to learn how to pray. Prayer should not be our last resort, but our first response. Most people come to me at the end of everything in their life. They've tried everything else, every counselor, read every book, gone everywhere, and they go, Pastor, all we can do is pray. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. That's not all we can do. It's the only thing we ever had hope in was praying and trusting God and believing God. you got to learn, if I'm going to decide what's best, I can't make spiritual decisions with a carnal mind. 
I'm preaching better than you're amening right now. You, you got you to gotta go to God. If you have a decision this week and you call me on Thursday, my first question is going to be to you, where, where were you at on Monday morning at 6 a.m.? Because I need, because we, oh, that was harder than I meant it to be. I didn't mean to hit you that hard. Except, <laughs> you, I, I got I to train you how to make spiritual decisions. And prayer is a part of those spiritual decisions. Prayer is not just talking to God, it's listening. Anybody married to somebody, don't you dare raise your hands. Married to somebody who thinks they're having a conversation, but really it's a dialogue about how right they are. There's a, <laughs> I said don't make any noise. I'm going to have to preach on marriage because of y'all. When you, when you have a conversation, at some point you got to... You gotta shut your mouth and listen. And prayers that way. Sometimes God, you're asking, God, what do I do? God, what do I do? God, what do I do? And God's trying to butt in with, hey, 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 hey. if you'll be quiet long enough, I'll tell you. You got you gotta learn how to listen to God. That's why church is important. Church is important for a lot. Here's the third reason, because you need to learn God's word. This is why I think church is so important. Did you know the Bible said there's a blessing over your life when you come to church and just, if you don't do anything else, now why you would know, I don't know, but if you don't do anything but come here and sit there like a bump on a pickle and I declare God's word over you, did you know that, that the Bible said there's blessing that comes in that? Did you know that? Do you know in the book of Deuteronomy, when, they, when, when the king of Israel discovered the book, I'm wild right now. I was calm in first service. Y'all get in both barrels. In the book of Deuteronomy, when, when the king found the book of the law again, the Bible said he called the entire nation of Israel together. And he made them stand on their feet for two solid weeks while he read God's word out loud over them. If I preach more than 30 minutes, some of y'all nod off and go get popcorn. Come on, somebody. Like, like two, two weeks. of it. There's something about God's Word that's powerful in your life. Sometimes you just need to get your Bible out. You don't even know where you're reading from. Just open it to a psalm and just read it over your life and declare God's Word over your life. I have the YouVersion app on my Bible. Sometimes I'll just turn it on where she, where she has a British accent because it sounds more godly to me. And I'll just let her read God's Word over my life in the car while I'm driving. Anybody else do that? You know what I'm talking? about there's just something about learning God's word if you're trying to know God you got to know God's word now I'm going to give you a story and center all of this around this one story and so buckle up and I'll try to get there quickly if you're new to the Bible Moses Moses is an Israelite who is is, is in uh, Egypt he becomes he's actually the son of Pharaoh's daughter the grandson of the Pharaoh the, the biggest ruler in all of the known world and Moses is a prince and he he's in charge of all of Egypt Crazy stuff starts happening. He realizes he's a Hebrew, not supposed to be there. and goes to the desert, and God calls Moses. Now, the Israelites are in bondage, everybody. They are slaves. They're sla- there's actually, there, most historians believe there's a few million of them that live in an area of Egypt called Goshen, and they're slaves there. And they've been slaves there 400 years, like generational slavery. And during this time, every generation would would cry out to God, God, deliver us from this slavery. God, release us and bring deliverance to us. And God, we want to get out of here. Whatever Whatever it takes, God, get us out of this slavery in Egypt. And so God calls Moses. Moses is on the backside of the desert, burning bush. God calls Moses said, you go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Pharaoh says... Absolutely not. And God brings plague after plague after plague 
on the Egyptians. And finally, Pharaoh relinquishes and says, y'all got to get out of here. Let me pause right here and tell you. My hope for you, listen to me, my prayer for you, is that you get so much power in working inside of your life. You get so close to God that the enemy that has you bound finally just says, y'all got to get out of here. I got to release you from all of this. I'm tired of dealing with you. How many of you want that kind of power in your life? I want that in my life. Where the enemy literally says, quit that. Stop. In the New Testament, there, there, there were devils that Jesus would come and He said, identify yourself. And they said, we're legion because we're many. And then the devil cried out, please, just let us go to those pigs. I want, I want the hell that's fighting you to beg you to let it go. That's the kind of power I want you to have. I want you to know what's best so much. that, that And Pharaoh says, you got to get them out of here. So, so that's exactly what happened. So they go and they leave. And God parts the Red Sea. And they're in the desert. And every day on the desert, there's a couple of million people that have to eat. And Moses is leading all these people. And so every day in the desert, God would supernaturally provide food for them. Now, if you come to City Hills very long, you're going to know that I love Jesus, Brandy, Hazel, and Henry, and food. Come on, somebody. In that order. I'm from the south. There's very few things fried chicken can't fix. I'm from the deep south. Come on, Corey. You know where I'm at. Like, There's few things a good southern meal can't fix. And God supernaturally provided food every single night. The entire nation of Israel would go to bed at night. They would have full stomachs. And in the middle of the night, like dew would fall out of the sky and raise up out of the ground. God would rain down a, a, a heavenly food called manna. And they would walk out of their tents every day. They didn't have to go shopping. There was no H. Bees, come on, somebody. This is the this, God invented curbside pickup. Literally, they walk outside and they gather manna up, and manna is this substance that they would grind down into meal and it would make sweet little cakes. Look at me in my eyes. God provided Krispy Kreme donuts every day from the sky. Tell me God's not a miracle worker. Every single day they go out, more donuts. What a God to serve, everybody. Every day, man is on the ground, grind it up, make these sweet little cakes out of it. I just, I just, I want to worship God for it now. Just thousands of years later that God would rain more donuts down on me. But they go, they go outside. And it's the same thing every day. And there's this problem. We're going to read about the problem here in just a minute. But these Israelites get tired of manna quickly. They've been eating the same thing over and over again. And so the Israelites start complaining. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny that as soon as God does the supernatural in our life, not long after this miracle, we're complaining because we didn't get the next one? And they start complaining and they, and, they, and they forget the fact that God's just delivered them from slavery. I'm, I'm upset because i got to eat donuts every day. Sounds crazy, but the whole nation of Israel is complaining that way. And this is where we pick up. This is where we pick up this story in verse number five, Numbers eleven, first verse number five. So the rabble with them. I love how the Bible calls the, the people of Israel the, <laughs> the rabble with them. Began to crave other food, and again the Israelites started crying and complaining and wailing and said, "If only we had meat to eat." We remember the fish we ate in Egypt. And this is so interesting. Don't miss this. Underline this. At no cost. 
Also, we had cucumbers and melons and leeks and onion and garlic. Let me pause here and say, if your diet is fish and onions and garlic, there was not one baby conceived or born in Egypt in 400 years. Y'all know what I'm trying to tell you? How nasty is that? Who would complain over fish, onions, and garlic? Anyways. But now we've lost all of our appetite. Well, I bet you have. (laughs) Now we've lost our appetite. All we ever see, we never see anything else but this manna. Now stop right here and look at this verse. Sometimes I'm an Israelite. and Sometimes I complain just for the sake of complaining. I'm looking at the miracle God's provided for me and complaining it's not enough. And then here's the operative thing. And here's what, here's what I want you to see from this passage. The devil will convince you of this right here because he convinced the Israelites of this. We, we, we got all the fish and cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic that we wanted, and it didn't even cost us anything. Look at me. They were slaves. But the enemy will convince you that the life you had before when you were a slave to all of that stuff, somehow it never even costed you anything. Look at how much fun you had, how great it was, how amazing that time was. And you forget the cost you had to pay to get the thing that you're begging God for now. And complaining about now. And God says, I'm providing you supernaturally food and miracles in front of you. And you're complaining about what you had before. And it wasn't even complaining that got God's attention. It's that you, at no cost. What about all those times you cried, God, just get me out of here. Don't raise your hands right now. Have you ever asked God to get you out of a situation? And then the moment He delivered you, you ask God, why? 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 God, it got worse. Be careful the stuff you're praying for. Because when God answers it, that you're going to be responsible for how you, how you handle the miracle. that you're, you're asking to get out of Egypt, and I got you out of Egypt. And now I'm feeding you, and it's not enough. And so Moses gets mad at all of these people complaining. He tells God. God gets mad, which is not a good idea, by the way. God's mad. Moses is mad. And the preacher and God are having a conversation about the church. Now, I never do this, but I hear about other pastors that do anyway. So the first thing Moses does, I, I do about first service, but never y'all. The first thing, first thing that Moses does is he talks to God because you got to pray. you got to learn how to talk to God. So Moses, verse 10, so Moses heard the people of every family complaining and wailing at the entrance of their tents, and the Lord became angry, and Moses got angry. Now everybody's angry. Preacher's angry. God's angry. And Moses asked the Lord. Now watch how many times Moses questions God. Let me just pause here and tell you, some of the complaining and problems that are happening down in your family, in your life and your kids and your spouse maybe because of the attitude you have that, that was for free that, that's nowhere in my notes but I just want you to know if, if Moses is so worried about their complaining why does he ask God why so many times he says why have you brought this trouble on your servant and what have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all of these people on me. Verse 12, did I, I, this is so crazy. Did I conceive all these people? Moses literally gets smart aleck with God and goes, I ain't they daddy. <laughs> I, these ain't even my babies I'm trying to feed right now. I, I didn't conceive all these people. I didn't give birth to them. Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms and nurse them like a nurse carries an infant to the land that you promised an oath to their answer? Where can I even get meat from? For all of these people, they keep complaining and wailing. God, give us meat to eat, verse 14. I cannot carry these people all by myself. 
The burden is too heavy for me. Which, by the way, let me pause here and tell you, he's right about that. You need somebody. It's why I tell you so much to get in a connect group. It's why today, after this service, we're training new connect group leaders. You can jump in today. You don't even have to sign up. You need people with you because you can't carry what God's called you to carry all by yourself. Shout amen to that, everybody. You can't be the mother, the father, the husband, the employee, the business owner, the citizen. You can't be. You cannot be all God's called you to be by yourself. God never, even when God called Moses, he said, get your brother, he'll talk for you. Because everybody needs a group. Every, that's good preaching. Shout amen to that. God, I'm going I'm to listen to my own podcast. This, <laughs> I'm sorry. this burden's too heavy for me. This, this is probably, I don't, people don't find humor in the Bible. I think the Bible's hilarious. This is one of the things I think is hilarious. <laughs> Moses tells God, if this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. <laughs> What? Why would you tell God that? Like, who would say that to God? God, just kill me right. If I'm God, I'm going, fine. Like, you're. Don't say that to God. Like, don't toy with me, boy. Just go ahead and kill me. If I've not found favor in your eyes, don't let me face my own ruin. And, and I know that it sounds like complaining, and it is. But here's the principle I want you to get out of this. Here, here's the principle of this first part of this passage is that even though it sounds like complaining, Moses is being honest and real. And I think if you need to know what's best in your life when you pray, you don't have to pray a prayer that sounds like, Sovereign Lord, omnipotent Father, your servant Moses bows before you and asks thee of thine blessing from thy bountiful heavens above. God, I hate these people. They're complaining all the time. Kill me or kill them. I got to go. God, my husband's an idiot. My kids are dumb. I got to get out of here. God, I hate this job. I ain't making no money. We broke. I don't know what to do. I got to go. You said, that sounds crazy. Who would ever talk to God like that? People who need to know what's best. And and, and there's sometimes I think that you're not real enough with God because you think you're going to scare God or intimidate God or, or disrespect God. Sometimes you just need to lay on your face in your bedroom floor and go, I'm done fighting for this marriage. I don't know what to do. God, you got to fix us. God, you got to heal us. You need to walk in your kids' rooms and go, God, I've raised them the best I know how. Lay over that bed of that 17-year-old child who's wayward and say, God, you got to deliver them off of pills. and I'll, God, i got to have some help. you just got to get real. Moses just goes to God and says, this is where I'm at. I'd rather you kill me than I would deal with this. And he gets honest with God. And in your prayer life, you got to get honest with God. Moses says, look, look, look how you're, if you're going to treat me like this, I'm done with this. Some of you don't like prayer because you're not honest in your prayer. I'm not telling you you can yell and cuss at God. I wouldn't advise you to cuss, and I wouldn't advise you to ask God to kill you. That's just my opinion. But you can be honest. God, I'm tired. God, I'm depressed. God, I've dealt with this long enough. God, I don't know what to do. God, this isn't about more money or more likes or affirmation. I'm asking you for love to abound in me that I can see something differently. And so so he seeks godly counsel next. He does exactly what you're supposed to do when you're asking God what to do. Verse 16, the Lord says to Moses, now God starts talking back to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders. Pause right here. That's the first dream team, by the way. You'll never be able to find what God's called you to do till you get on a team of people who are changing the world with you. Never, ever, ever, ever. You write that down and remember this day I told you. You will never fulfill completely God's plan for your life until you get people to do it with. 
Moses couldn't even be the deliverer God called him to until he had people. He said, get you a team of 70. That's that wise counsel. Get you some elders, leaders, officials. Have them come to the tent of meeting. I love this about God. This is probably, God, I love the God of the Bible. Because he says, he says, if you'll bring them to church with you, that they may stand with you there. And then he says, I'll come down. I will come down and speak with you there. Can you imagine the God of all creation coming down to speak with you? I think he can today. I think he is today. That's, that's why I think it's so important if you're trying to decide what to do best. you got to get around a team of people who can help you. Get in a group of people who are with you. Pray honest prayers. Seek godly counsel. And I'll come down and speak with you. And I love this. I wish I had time to preach. I'm going to preach this next year. The Holy Spirit convicted me about preaching this passage to you. He said, I'll take some power, some of the power of the Holy Spirit that's on you, and I'll put it on them. You listen to me. If you want some power that God has on this house, the anointing God has on this house, if you want some of it on you, you've got to get on a team. You cannot have that, the access to that anointing until you're on the team. I know, that's good. It is amen to that. And they will share the burden with you. They'll do it so you don't have to carry it alone because you can't carry it alone. And then tell the people, verse 18, consecrate yourself. Preparation for tomorrow when you'll eat meat. This is that other funny part. I think God's so funny. I'm telling you, I wish you read the Bible like I do. This is a quote from God, okay? God says, you tell those people, the Lord heard you when you cried. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. That's my favorite part. You will eat it. And you will not eat it just for one day or two days or five days or ten days or twenty days, but for a whole month. And this is the funniest part. Until it comes out of your nose. God said that. I told you the Bible's hilarious. I'm going to give you so much meat comes out your nose till you hate it. Because you've rejected the Lord who's among you. Well before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses said, I still don't know how we're going to do this. There's 600,000 men plus wives and kids. How are you going to say I'm going to give them meat for a whole month? God, if I killed everything we had, all the camels, donkeys, sheep, oxen, if I slaughtered all the flocks and herds, I still wouldn't have enough. Would they have enough for all the, all the stuff? Moses is still questioning. And then it happens in verse 23. And listen close. This is the, the close of the message today. They're playing the slow music. That means it's time to close. And the, and the close of the whole series. I think sometimes God gives you an anchor verse that you sort of hang your life on. And for the last 21 days in my life, the anchor verse I've heard from God is that no weapon formed against me will prosper. He didn't say He wouldn't form weapons against you. It just said it's not going to work. I think sometimes God gives you an anchor verse. And if you, if you came to church today or you've been here for any of this series and you need to know what's best, you need, to, you need to make the right decision. God, how do I know what's best? How do I know which way to go? God answers Moses. I'm trying to set this up to you because I don't want you to miss the power of it. God answers Moses not with a plan. God answers Moses with a principle. And one of the most frustrating things about the Bible or the God of the Bible, if I'm being honest with you, is I want God to give me a plan. And God most often gives me a principle. 
I want God to say, choose that one, not that one. Go here, not here. Say yes to that, say no to that. Go. Anybody else want God to do that? But if you want to know what's best, you, you probably won't get the plan from God. If you want to know what's best, you got to know God. And so God tells Moses, hey, let me give you the finality of this whole thing. You're mad, I'm mad, people are crazy. You don't know what to do. You don't know how to feed all these people. How do I know what's best? And then the Lord answered Moses. Not a, not a plan, a principle. Is the Lord's arms too short? It's, it's a rhetorical question about the power of God. And now you will see whether or not what I say for you is coming true. Moses, City Hills, sir, ma'am, husband, wife, mama, I know you're trying to decide what's best. I know you'd rather me preach a message to you and tell you this is what you ought to do. This is what's best. But the best way I know for you to know what's best is to know God. And this I know about God. Nothing is too hard for Him. Moses, here's what you need to know when you go into those people and you tell them. You don't worry about a plan. You don't worry about where the meat's coming from. You just tell them God's able. And I'm telling you today, you don't need to know how. You just need to know God's able. You don't need to, you say, how, pastor? How's God's going to heal this cancer? I don't know, but God's able. Maybe through chemotherapy, maybe through a miracle, but God's able. How's God going to fix my marriage? We've been to every counselor in this city. We've read every marriage book there is. How, how's it, I don't know. I just know this about God. God is able. How do I know what's best? How do I know what to take a decision? If you want to know what's best, you've got to know God. And God, listen, God knows what's best. And this is my prayer, Philippians 1 and 9. This is my prayer that your love abounds more and more. Knowledge, depth of insight, that you know what's best. So that you can be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Listen to me. God is preparing you for what He has prepared for you. What you're walking through, the questions in your mind right now. Here's the way I like to say it. We live in a world of things that are not the best. But we serve a God that has something that is the best. And when you're facing things that aren't the best, I don't know what to do. Pastor, what do I do with this? The decision, how do I know what's best in my life? I know this, if I'll go to God, He knows what's best. And if you want to know what's best, you got to know the God that has what's best. 